Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Solid 60 podcast with me, Patrick Hamilton, your host. And it is 9.43pm on the 1st of April 2019. It's the day after my birthday and it is uh, very much like a fool's day and I feel like the fool because it's just the third week in a row that the rent didn't go through. Uh, I did sort it out last week for the... Well, it's always um, fun talking about this stuff. Let's get right into it, shall we? Um, I suppose... Then we can push it to the side before I can deal with uh, any other hijinks that happened. But yeah, that's obviously the most pressing thing on my mind right now while I wait for the housemate to come home because he ain't answering his phone anymore. Forgive me, I don't want to be dramatic. It's just, you know, potentially having to move, which is never fun for anyone. But uh, yeah, because the landlord is not too happy of course and the text I have been getting because I'm the only one that replies so even though I'm not on the lease we're in communication and yeah it's it's getting weird and I'm getting worried but hopefully uh, he can make me feel better once he gets home but at this point my anxieties are not being assuaged last time this happened I had to go in with him and found out the hard way that he didn't have any money because he denied right up to the last minute and even with putting money in through the ATM on the spot, not the ATM, the FPOS machine, that it was all good until the secretary came back and went, yeah, no, that wasn't quite enough. A few hundred dollars short, so I guess you had to pony up and I've had to do it a few times since. He's overdue $90 in, uh, what do you call them, dishonor fees. So apparently he's putting that on me because I didn't have my rent in by the Thursday, even though up till now I've always paid in by the weekend. So apparently the goalposts have shifted. But uh, either way, he's going to have to sort it out tomorrow. I suppose that puts some tension on this or time criticalness to this because, you know, we'll have to find out what happens next. Uh, Yeah, so I'll get back to you in a day or two with the results because if it goes south, which I'm worried about because last time I paid, I think it was two weeks rent and I was lucky I had the money which for both of us, so that was about $800.00. This time, I already did that last week, and I don't have a lot of money left after my birthday and a whole bunch of other stuff that's gone out. So I don't really have enough to cover that if he keeps doing it, and I'm going to get dragged down into a swamp, like what a lot of people warn me about. And I've been trying to put money aside to be ready for something like this so I could just leave. But uh, obviously, that's a, that's an ongoing, very slow process to do. And the value... What's his name? The guy with the cars. I love the way he talks, and so do a lot of other people. Finwicky, look that up on YouTube. Ed Bolian. Sorry to make you listen to me type. But yeah, Ed Bolian puts it... Value proposition. Uh, it's just not there to stay in this place. But there's two... There are two reasons. And okay, to be honest, one of those reasons is larger than the other. Uh, why I stay here. One of them is named Compi. The other one, and I sound like an old crazy woman, is named Gizmo. It's the name he's stuck with. And I don't know if you can hear that purring on your end. That's the only reason I'm basically not just moving into a bloody RV at this point. Because you can't put cats in the damn things. So I have to play it out. And hopefully he comes good. Because he is working. I mean, ostensibly, that's why he couldn't answer the phone today. I'm not so sure that was the real reason at this point. But the money should be there. And I'm going to have to write him over the coals after not answering. I was going to actually... There's $30 dishonor fee times three. I was going to go, look, I'll pay for one of them, even though I don't think it's on on me at all. That's not going to happen now. That chance is gone. It's, it, the full whack is all on him. And uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. Sorry, I keep 
prevaricating. I did want to come on and talk about something fun, which was what I binged on recently, the entire season of Love, Death and Robots. I didn't mean to watch it all at once, but it was so delicious I had to keep on uh, just guzzling it down. So let's look for that. All I have to put in to Google is love and the next 20 results, love, death and robots. Yeah, if we go to IMDb, there's going to be a mountain of trivia uh, because there was a whole bunch of different episodes and it's going to be hard for me to realize which ones they're talking about just from the name because I watched them all at once and there's quite a few I'd want to see again and quite a few I'm like, okay, we're seeing just the once. Uh, as beautiful as they all were, some of the stories weren't as uh, compelling as others. You know, you're going to get that when you're just farming out work like this across hundreds of different agencies and writers and things. They used a lot of really good writers. There was one female writer, apparently. can't remember which story it was. I guess we'll find out. Uh, and there was one creator of color. I don't know how else to call it, to say it. But basically, he was an American Asian dude that did the one about the spirit, the cat lady. And there was a lot of nudity, which, according to one reviewer, was a little bit salacious, purient and not servicing the story it was rather fan servicing I don't know I enjoyed it I am not as discerning as everyone else when it comes to that sort of thing I'm like I'll take nudity wherever I can get it and to be honest in one of the scenes which involved a ritual sacrifice to summon demons there was a woman strung up on what you would call I don't know an altar and she looked young and buxom and all that. But that's what they do. I mean, that did sort of serve as the story because that's the cliche. You get some virgin and you tie her up and the whole sacrificing virgins thing. I mean, it's such a trope. So I, I'm not saying that it's certainly not empowering, but it was sort of part of the story. So you can't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll leave it to smarter people. But let's go and look at the trivia because I want to get my mind off uh, the bloody rant situation. Just doing my head in, you know, dramas with the ex as usual. Even though I had a really good birthday party on the Saturday. And she actually made it and brought the kid. So that was good. And I'm probably already putting out way too much information on here. Everyone was there. A bunch of the real, true, 100% legit, close inner circle people that I love and value and trust. And a couple others that maybe wanted to be there but couldn't make it work you know you, i'm not going to be a little bitch and cry about everyone that didn't come and send out like passive aggressive feels into the internet it's just how it goes i invited a guy who had a birthday last week that i wasn't invited to that's fine i have no issues with that if he d doesn't feel like i'm quite at that we're at that stage of the relationship i can't say that without sounding like i actually do sound pee but i'm not I was completely nonplussed about that. It was just like, hey, I find you cool. I want you around my people. Uh, let's let's do it. At some point when you feel comfortable enough to me to have me at whatever thing you've got going on, then great. Until then, I'm just happy to chill. Back to the issue at hand. Let's try and keep these things on somewhat of a main point because Love, Death and Robots is what I'm going to call this episode. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about mostly. Other than the rent and my birthday, which went rather well, and the next day it was... Uh, well, the birthday dinner was the 31st... Sorry, the 30th. The 31st, I didn't actually do anything specifically for the birthday. I just went along to Anime at Abbotsford, which is a nice barbecue that they do for people of the cosplay bent. A lot of fun was had. Again, kid was there. Great times with everyone. You can see that. If you go to their Facebook page, they had an event. There's all sorts of artwork up there, shots of everyone having a good time. 
it is an exclusively interesting band of people not for everyone i think but once you get to know them they're good people no one there is uh what you'd call it toxic or there's a few that need a helping hand they're all they're all lovely people now i am looking at the list of trivia and it's surprisingly short there's only 15 items that's fine with me because i've got two articles to read and they're both written by the same man someone i wanted to do a podcast with but he seems oh so busy and he probably wants someone with a slightly more professional setup than just a road mic and a laptop you'd want to have at least two mics and maybe a studio because uh, he does like radio and he goes on like proper podcasts but I can still read out his stuff, right? Eh? You know what they say? It's better to uh, apl- apologize later than ask for permission. So let's get on to the little bit of trivia that there is. I don't know how annoying <laughs> it is that I keep looping back to it. Netflix explained on Twitter they're experimenting with the episode order by presenting four different episode orders to different viewers. Oh, that's right. Someone did mention this. He got really up- outraged because he thought they were showing him a different order because he was gay or something and, and it was just no it's completely random there is a recurring theme of broken or damaged left arms okay that sounds a bit star warsian to me because i know a few arms are lost in the star wars universe as well i don't know if they were the left arms but that's certainly a recurring theme and it's a good sort of uh callback it's not overt it's subtle at the beginning of each episode the three sign logo of the series changes into signs that hint at the story well, you've got to be a freaking genius to work out what that is from a three sign logo in the episode the witness alberto milgo why don't they have names i know how to pronounce drew inspiration for the protagonist from a concept art of penny parker from into the spider-verse in which he was lead art director the witness see i don't know which episode that was just going from the title if i google it it should show me and it no that's that's trying to find a game the witness on steam that's all i'm getting i don't know what else i expected really the witness uh let's actually add netflix will that help the brother of kitty genovese investigates the circumstances of her murder see that didn't work because it's a documentary that's a very uh it's a kind of title that could take you in a lot of different directions there you go the witness love death and robots oh my god okay that's the one that blew my mind and probably has the most nudity because of the art there's so many cool different little short stories in here that showcase i guess the different studios that create them what they can do with their animation and it was just insane it was really really cool and it wasn't just the nudity it was really really good art on all levels and it kept you running it was very hitchcocky and almost the whole looking through the out the window to see a crime and then what you do about it and you run and this and that it's very kinetic and lots of things going on so some people might not think that the nudity was necessarily serving the story but i think everyone who watched it had a good time all right next the project started off as a theatrical reboot of heavy metal yeah this is hinted at in uh, the article i'm going to read the episodes beyond the aquila rift and zima blue are from the book that is called zima blue and other stories that is by alistair reynolds now that's alistair with a d not a t unusual way of spelling it i don't know where that comes from it could be irish we'll never know i'm not going to look it up in episode three three robots there is a scene that resembles the scene in terminator where t-800 steps over a human skull now i actually remember that quite a kodak moment it's one that sticks in your head the voice of young hitler oh i hated that one 
is done by Dieter Janssen. Dieter, who's actually native Dutch and half German, voices Mr. Hobson on the Mr. Peabody and Sherman show. Chris Parnell, the voice of Mr. Peabody, voices the cat in Three Robots. Nice little connection there. Topher Grace, that's the guy that was in the one where they had the fridge. Now, to me, that's a great example of a story that uh, is really cute when you say you're high and you're sitting there with your mate and you're like, how about we have this freezer? Like, it's really old, so it makes it seem like mysterious and kooky. Like, they just moved into this old house and they find this freezer and he's, like, amazed that it's still there and working. And then they open it up and get some ice out of it and in the ice cube they see a tiny little woolly mammoth and it has spears in it. (gasps) Oh, my God, yeah. And then they go and get a looking glass or rather some kind of magnifying glass and look into the freezer and what do they see an entire ice age civilization that quickly morphs into a middle age civilization and then it just shoots off into the future and they discover how to become one with the atoms or something and they just kind of coalesce into like let's skipping the whole thermonuclear war thing but basically it all starts again the next morning in the freezer so it's like this ongoing cycle but uh, I don't know it just feels like they could have done a little more with that it was a cool idea like conceptually awesome it looked amazing but a little empty like there wasn't a lot going on other than yeah it's just you know it's a metaphor for how meaningless it all is because we're just doing it over and over again I think Futurama did it better let's put it that way when they just keep watching the universe die and restart again next netflix's only animated anthology series has been executively executively produced by david fincher and tim miller Uh, yes another one (laughs) they've added made by using many different styles of animation can i go make that uninterest like 20 of 59 found this interesting and let's make it 20 of 60 that's what i did I, i i gave him what for uh i said it was uninteresting take that to bed Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Tim Miller, director of Deadpool, worked with Nolan North, a voice actor who voices Deadpool in the High Moon video game series Deadpool. Not sure what that has to do with this series. I think because Nolan North is a voice actor that's probably in the series. In episode 3, Robots, the game Exploding Kittens is a card game that belongs to the Oatmeal, a digital comics artist. Oh yeah, I did get that reference. I mean, it's a real thing, I know I knew that. That was one of my favourite ones, actually, where they come out into a post-apocalyptic world it's like a spin on that one with the little robot that goes everywhere and then oh my god my brain is not quite working at its peak right now i know i've used that excuse before but i honestly have to admit it might not be running at its full potential at 10 o'clock at night after a very long day which was mostly in the truck unfortunately bouncing through different muddy fields and i haven't really been talking to anyone other than myself which might be coming across. <laughs> I, had, I did have a, a brief and slightly cathartic conversation with the ex and uh, that might have rattled me somewhat. Plus the whole trying to get in touch with my erstwhile housemate. So forgive my slightly rattled demeanour. Yes. So I was looking for a movie that I was trying to reference. Wally. Yeah, so it's like Wally, except there's three robots and they were quite smart and self-aware and they come out and it's like there's no people left so they just can't start sort of reminiscing about what humans were and why they were and it won't give away the ending because I'm going to assume at this point and I haven't spoiled it so far that you haven't seen Love, Death and Robots and if you haven't you should because it's all amazing even the bad ones are good so let's from there go to the articles 
that I have to read that are written by Travis Johnson, who used to work for Filmlink or still does. I'm not sure. When I had a magazine that was published, I would subscribe. Now it's just online and I still get emails about like they're trying to do this movie club type thing where you get cheap tickets and it's already depressing that they couldn't keep selling the, the actual magazine. Uh, he does live in Sydney, so I, I do want to catch up with the guy one day. He kind of looks like Mark Hamill in the newer ones where he got fit, if that helps. Uh, and he is a cat man because there's a lot of photos with his cat, not to get too creepy and stalky. Uh, so we have that in common as well. I'm not going to get more Facebook stalkery than that. Uh, but I will actually let his work speak for itself and go on to Love, Death and Robots, the review. Deadpool director Tim Miller and Fight Club, The Social Network and Gone Girl honcho David Fincher are the creative engine behind Love, Death and Robots, an 18 episode. I can't believe I watched 18 in one night. Animated speculative fictional anthology series. That's about, well, exactly what it says on the tin. This kind of exercise makes sense when you can take the history of the genre into account. The golden age of sci-fi was built on the backs of short story writers after all, and although this novel is now the dominant literary form, the short is still an important part of the canon. Often sci-fi works best when it's about one idea, deftly explored within the parameters of a tight word count. Do we really need another Peter F. Hamilton doorstopper, is what I'm saying. I still haven't read any of his books, personally, and I know there are big I want to read uh, Red Mars, Green Mars. I'm thinking maybe that's the guy that wrote them. I'm going to Google him right now to get a bit off course. And no, I don't think it's the Mars trilogies. There's a lot of books that have won awards and things. There's at least 35 of them. Wow. Okay, he's written things like uh, The Temporal Void and Great North Road. And the artwork on the covers reminds me of the Amtrak Wars, which is going to start me down another rabbit hole. So let's go back to the review. Sci-fi literature aside, Love, Death and Robots' other obvious ancestor is comics, particularly the predominantly adult European comics anthologized in France's Metal Hurlant magazine and reprinted for the Anglophone audience's Heavy Metal. Heavy Metal itself came, into, came onto the screen in the form of an anthology feature back in 1981. I had the, the VHS copy myself. And Fincher, Fincher and Miller were in fact attached to reimagine the notion of it as of 2008. Nothing happened. The rights were snapped up by Robert Rodriguez, who's thus far done zilch with them. And now, a little over a decade after that, we have Love, Death and Robots, which is not too far a leap from what you might imagine a Fincher-Miller heavy metal joint to be. They've pretty much just filed the serial numbers off and used prominent science fiction writers like John Scalzi, Joe R. Lansdale, Ken Liu, and Alice Dare Reynolds as source material, farming the grunt work out to various animation houses around the world. The result is a grab bag of sci-fi shorts of varying quality. That's just the nature of the portmanteau business, all of which are worth a look. The better offerings are the more playful. Three Robots, based on a Scalzi short, is a mordantly humorous bit of business that sees three droids take a walking tour of a post-apocalyptic human city and ruminating on the fleshy beings who once lived there. That's the one I was... Yeah, that's one of my favourites. I think that's what kicks it off, depending on who you are, because it will just mix up the order, of course, which is a really cute and pointless exercise, but why not? Fish Knight, taken from a Lansdale story, strands two travelling salesmen in Monument Valley in order to answer the question of whether non-human life forms have ghosts. That's a really cool one, too. Very much 
one to watch if you're tripping on acid. If Actually, if you're tripping on acid, just watch the last 20 minutes of Annihilation if you really want to go completely inside your own head and disappear for a few hours. And then you'll be like, whoa, but it's only been five minutes. What? A couple are just straight up tightly written thrillers that fulfill their remit efficiently without pushing the boundaries, such as the stranded astronaut drama, Helping Hand. Yeah, so that was cool. That was that was very much gravity. Cross between gravity and the one where the guy gets his arm stuck in a rock and has to cut it off, not to spoil it or anything. The werewolf-centric shapeshifters, I do remember that one out, it was really cool. Neither of which add much to their respective mythologies, but will certainly scratch that supernatural itch for you. Yeah, well, fun. In terms of animation style, the pen and ink stuff is more striking than the preponderance of CGI, most of which looks like nothing so much as a well-rendered computer game cutscene. The hard military sci-fi on offer, such as Lucky 13 and beyond that Aquila Rift, add to this feeling by dint of their predictable sameness, existing on the Starship Troopers, Aliens, Halo conceptual axis, and offering nothing particularly new or interesting to the subgenre. Jesus, man, I didn't realise you took it to them so harsh. I mean, he's technically correct, I guess. They do feel like they're in that world, but I liked what they did. I'd, again, speaking about it too much, I think it's beyond the Aquila Rift. That was a really cool, very tense the atmosphere was done really well. I, d- I don't know. Oh, man, pull those claws back in. But I suppose that's his job. He's got to uh, just come out punching sometimes, and he doesn't mince words, this guy. And that's why he gets the radio work. I'm not jealous. I'm just in awe. Indeed, the problem with much of Love, Death and Robots is that very little of it feels fresh. We're almost 40 years on from the original heavy metal movie, and this effort feels of a part with it, having developed in terms of animation technology, but not having travelled too far conceptually. This extends to the series' approach to sex and violence, which comes off as pretty adolescent. There's nothing wrong with nudity and gore in cartoon form, but you'd hope it's in service to something in the narrative or the theme of the work in question. Instead, it's mostly rather gratuitous here. There are bright spots, of course. Good Hunting, based on Ken Liu's short story, beautifully animates a steampunk riff on an old Chinese legend. Yeah, that's the one. I mean, that stretches out over, it looks like, well over 100 years. So they seem to live a long time uh, in that story. It ended kind of bleakly, but that's the nature of the business. The ride along there was, was enjoyable to take. It was. I don't know if enjoyable is the right word. It's more, you just, you were strapped in and you just had to go along with it and you weren't looking away. Let's put it that way. And it, and it did change massively in time from the, from the beginning. It was like an old school medieval Chinese town where they were fighting off some set up a certain way like these are the bad guys we have to get rid of them and then it gets flipped on its head and then somehow it seems to travel into the future or at least a weird steampunk industrial future it's all over the map but yeah it's it's one of the uh, better entries Zima Blue taken from an Alastair Reynolds short is the most conceptually ambitious dealing with the notions of art purpose and consciousness in a deliberate and provocative way still while enjoyable and on genre, Love, Death and Robots isn't the boundary pusher it advertises itself as. As a statement of purpose, the season works fine, but if we're getting a second, let's hope they commit to really giving both the genre and the format a workout. See, he says that it advertises itself as some kind of big boundary-busting genre-pushing. Like, I didn't see any advertising. I just started watching it, and all I've seen is people raving about how interesting it is, but I must have missed the, the promos there. 
four out of five is what he gave it and he had another article more about the uh, the issue of it there it is not being it's too heteronormative which caused a bit of debate spirited debate let's put it that way in my cosplay and action group and it, to be fair it was a bit of a clickbait headline because he's like oh it's there's not enough lgbtq content and it's a bit more nuanced than that but obviously when you grab a headline it it's going to look a certain way and people made fun of that and that was really on the nose some of the criticism of the direction he's taking here so I tried to be humble and academic and go look I'm watching the show for me and I'm not really thinking about who else might be watching it and I'm trying to realise that yeah there's other people that might want a bit more out of their media than just the same old marketed at 15 year old horny male cisgendered let's let's do what art should do and break those molds a little bit let's let's show what's out there what kind of people are in the world that you're not maybe sitting next to or that you know of it's it's all about crossing those boundaries on the screen because you can't really do it in person because there's all sorts of barriers language wise culturally that don't let us connect so we connect through the art and if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes for even 20 minutes then it might open your mind a little bit more uh, in person to understand where they're coming from i got there eventually so yeah a little history he's got this this whole um, article here it's mostly just about the, the background of the series he does say the show delivers there is love there is death again it is travis johnson there are robots well there's sex more than love really but the u.s is a pretty puritanical place even now and so the rest is rest of the anglosphere so neatly veiling the presence of sex in the title, even while the trailers delight in showing glimpses of cell-shaded nipples and CGI burning is par for the course. Now, sex-wise, I only remember one very weirdly played out scene, and it was the guy that wakes up out of a deep sleep, or they call it the uh, stasis sleep, when they travel through this big giant porthole thing in their ship. And they all go to sleep and wake up, and he somehow runs into this old flame, who's telling him he's gone too far and it was a mistake but let's just have some fun while we're here and uh they kind of start bouncing around the shower and then in a bed and then against like this giant glass wall that looks out onto space and it's all very pretty but uh there doesn't seem to be a lot of passion in it like i said it's not the most erotic love making i've ever seen it's pretty much on a par with the team america okay oh yeah and what did it get on imdb as a score because what do people think of it? They've got 8.9. So that's quite a high rating. That's not really fair that you can't break it up among the episodes because they're very different from each other. Calming black screen. On uh, this website that I'm reading it from that I should also reference, Culture War Crimes Tribunal, hash one, uh, by Travis Johnson, March 29th. So this is pretty fresh. It's a new weekly pop culture column by critic and commentator Travis Johnson. So yeah, this is the first episode, obviously. Uh, sorry first column we're getting right into it i'm going to keep it keep it going and it's got a clip up the top if you just go to mysteria maxima magazine good luck keeping that in your head it's nice and alliterative though mysteria maxima magazine.com and then you've got to listen for look out for cultural just go to the website i'll link it on the freaking page look i'll do that now christ i don't know why it's being so slow i'm sure it's got nothing to do with the fact that i've got about 50 tabs running I really shouldn't slow it down in this day age, you'd think. I'm not going to add anything to the article. I'm just going to post it as is. So there it is. It's up. I didn't even post my last podcast, but 
the link to this article is up. So, a little history. Back in 2008, blah, 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 we read that in the review. But yeah, it is a good time. Fincher and Miller aim to bring to the screen a similar sense of provocation and exploration, delivering an adult-themed sci-fi portmanteau, there's that word again, and I love it, with all the sex and violence you could hope for. For various reasons, mostly financial, it never happened. The last anyone heard, Rodriguez had picked up the rights. He put it better in this article, I think. The idea seemingly stuck in the crawls of Miller and Fincher, and so now, 11 years later, we have love, death, and robots. Same boobs, smaller screen. Time is a flat circle, like a 70s prog rock LP. Looking at Love, Death and Robots with a critical eye, there's nothing in there that doesn't work. Quality varies across the various episodes, but I wouldn't say there's one outright dud. Your mileage may vary, of course. There's certainly a lot of gratuitous violence and a smattering of gratuitous sex. More nudity than sex, really. Exactly. And neither of those are inherently bad things at all. However, in the process of viewing, as the weight of accumulated episodes stacks up, it becomes increasingly clear whose ideas about sex are being related here and who the ideal audience is for these stories. It's the same straight, male, mostly white, young adults who were the target audiences back in 1981. And those guys, bless them, and I'm one of them, only double their age, same tick tick that box here, are not, as we should all be well and truly aware by this stage of the game, the only demographic. Yet, as far as love and death and robots is concerned, they might as well be. Yeah, see, I'm not 100% across him with this, but I'm trying to learn. Looking over the credits, the directing teams are, in so far as I can tell, all male. On the writing side, one source short story is by a woman, Helping Hand, and only one screenplay is written by a woman, When Yoga Took Over. That's a pretty piss-poor effort. In terms of race representation, good hunting is present, for one thing, and Ken Liu is Chinese-American, so that's one. But let's not go down the rabbit hole of behind-the-scenes representation and parody and quotas and the myth of meritocracy and all that jazz. Those are metrics we can measure any series by, and it's more fun to measure this one against a metric it has deliberately or not set for itself by dint of being about science fiction and sex. Where are the gay people at? The future is straight, but girl on girl is hot. Aha! I imagine you saying, well, not you, but the sort of dude who will always get this back up about this kind of analysis of genre properties, which is kind of me, but not... Not as bad as some, because I did think of that. Oh, wait, there is that gay scene. And that's when I realised I needed to read this, because I'd left it until I'd watched the series. I'd posted this article without even reading it. How dare I? He does address it. There is gay right at the top of the series. Sunny's Edge, the very first episode, depending on who you are. I think it was my first. It was either that or Three Robots. Anyway, there are lesbians. In fact, in that particular episode, lesbians presented in a very prurient, very male gazy way, which is why I touched on the creative makeup of the series above. What you want to think about here is not just what's being depicted but who it's depicting and who they are depicting it for and Sunny's Edge is a the most prominent and indeed one of the only elements of overt queerness in the whole series b lesbianic as fuck c in a way designed to appeal directly and almost exclusively to straight men because d the sexual politics of love death and robots is stale the series is about as transgressive as a dog-eared playboy stuffed under a teenage boy's mattress in a John Hughes movie, and the movie is Curly Sue. Oh, this guy riffs. Respect. A weird world demands weirder fiction. We live in a sci-fi world, and for evidence, let me direct you to the manner in which you're consuming this content. We also live in a world of constant social upheaval and revolution. LGBTQI plus people are becoming more and more visible. 
socially, politically, culturally, and so it's straight up backwards that they're poorly represented in what should be, what purports to be, a cutting-edge sci-fi collection. So he's all this stuff purporting and promoted as... I'm not seeing any of that stuff. I am just took it for what it was without any context around it. So if it really was like advertising itself everywhere as like some super progressive thing, then yeah, maybe that's not cool because it's, it's pretty much just genre fun. It's, it's schlocky and it's cheap entertainment. It's really entertaining, but yeah, it's not a lot of it's super smart. Maybe that the one where the pool cleaner becomes a super artist extraordinaire and then becomes a pool cleaning robot again. That was quite clever. That was the one about the colour blue. That's what I got out of it. Um, before I'm tired and feathered... Sorry, I'm reading again from the article. Got to make that clear. Before I'm tired and feathered and marked with a hot SJW brand, let me say that I'm not just taking the show to task politically. I'm looking down on it conceptually. The lack of inclusion and exploration here doesn't just show a lack of quote-unquote progressiveness or political correctness. It shows a lack of imagination. Now, that's a... F- Okay, if you're going to criticise it, go there, because I can work with that. Look at the world out there. Just calling it stale, I need more. We're a bee's dick away from being able to buy sex robots. Still, Donix is a growing field. The internet has turned isolated kinksters into globe-spanning communities. No matter how weird your fetish, there's a URL for you somewhere, and some of them shouldn't be. Where redefining notions of gender as the culture shifts to accommodate new understandings of what sex and gender actually mean and how they interrelate. We're still fighting for our rights to be freaky and free, as the recent shitstorm over the US Foster-Sester laws demonstrates. I don't know what that is. Thankfully, he has a link. Let's see what that is. Vox. Wow, that's a cool photo. It's just the whole screen. It's just this photo of Trump signing a law intended to curb sex trafficking but it threatens the future of the internet as we know it. It's already impacted sites like Reddit, Craigslist, and Google. That's just the start. That's from July last year, 2018. Craigslist recently killed its infamous personal section. Thanks, Congress. You can start bracing for more deletions and censorship to come. So, yeah, he's trying to crack down on... Uh, I think what he's done, out of, like, really well-meaning... It's like Bush going to Iraq. Like, oh, yeah, we want to get rid of any uh, sex trafficking. And, and he's actually made it worse. But I'm not going to go down that hole... Basically, his point was, we live in that world, it's a bit sci-fi, and there's all these different sort of ways to... uh, I have to go back, because I'm not familiar with this language. We're redefining notions of gender as the culture shifts to accommodate new understandings of what sex and gender mean and how they interrelate. So this is something I'm learning. I'm not being a smartass. I sound like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm, I'm really trying. We're still fighting for our right to be freaky and free. And that's that's the problem with that. See, they've shut down all those personal ads, and some of those ads were completely innocent. Sure, one guy somewhere had like a 13-year-old in his basement that he was renting out, but most of them were fine. But surely, that just means the points of conflict are right with storytelling possibilities. So basically, all this stuff's happened, and they're not really addressing the multi-faceted, freaky and free kinks and things that are out there. There's a lot that got left on the shelf, he's saying. There we go. None of this is apparent in Love, Sex and Robots, 18 swipes at possibility. Minimal gay content, no trans content. For crying out loud, The Matrix was doing trans sci-fi 20 years ago, although so subtly it took us years to notice. To be fair, I didn't notice, so I'm going to have to read up on that one. Little weirdness, no wildness. The few kinks that are depicted are positioned as negative. In Hunting Ground, a plutocrat forces a magical creature to replace her body parts with steampunk 
prosthesis to feed his fetish. He's clearly the villain of the piece. The series embodies teenage boys' notion of perverse sexuality married to what they are, by and large, fairly staid visions of the future or the alternate now. What's worrying is that the teenage boy is now in his 50s. Who really grows up? Yeah, to be fair, they could have had... When he puts it like that, so I didn't really notice that. That just went... There's a lot of stuff that slips under the radar. And yeah, if there was only... If you do it accumulatively, it will have an impact. And you start thinking, well, if only the bad guys have got a weird kink, then kinks are bad, which that's a good point. So hopefully in the next series, they have some healthy kinks. What bugs me and what should bug you is that Love, Death and Robots is nostalgia disguised as futurism. It's an effort to bring forward in time ideas and postures about human sexuality that were already starting to wither back when its main influence was new. We are so far beyond that now in terms of where we, where we are as a culture. All else aside, a conservative pundit shouldn't be discussing wilder ideas about transhuman sexuality than a prestige series supposedly about that very subject. See, again, he's saying it's supposedly about transhuman sexuality. Where is it saying it's about that? And what he's referencing there with the conservative pundit is Laura Ingram, uh, her guest, says that she's some fox. That's all I need to know. She's a fox pundit. And a guest says that trans people will destroy gender norms to create a new species that's part human and part machine. I'm not sure where they got transgender mixed up with transformers, but there we go. And yeah, that's an interesting sci-fi take that they could have run with on an episode of Love, Death. So there's a field that needs to be ploughed, let's put it that way, in the next season. And like he goes on, the world does not belong to the straight male teenagers anymore, and fandom is a queerer and kinkier place than it was back in Heavy Metal's heyday, as even the quickest browse through the blogosphere indicates. It's jarring for me to read that, because when I was 15 and discovered a few old back issues of Heavy Metal um, lying around the comic book store, and, ooh, this is a bit naughty. I think they were even in newsagents, and they were in plastic, and I was like, it's a comic, but it's got boobs. There was still, and it was science fiction, it was just all the best things for a teenage mind in one place, but there was still a part of me that was hoping to have my mind opened a bit, and go, oh, have the imagination tickled, not just the other part. So to hear it sort of put in that box of just like, oh, it's it's a 70s playboy, and it's all outdated, and needs to be, it's hard to hear. It's not necessarily incorrect, it's just, I've got to get over that what was once on the very edge of the counterculture has over the course of almost four decades been pulled squarely into the mainstream and so the notion of running it up the flagpole now and saluting it as some provocative and avant-garde cultural artifact is laughable so who's running it up the flag again i'm not in that conversation so it's just these recycled ideas about what's taboo don't fly anymore we've got to look further afield for our weird and hopefully the inevitable second season will do so too that's something he a running theme with him he says anything that's outside the box or off in the away from Disney in the deeper darker dungeons of indie comics that's where it's all happening and I can't disagree with that so that's that's his article so I'm looking forward to this week's column which I imagine will be in a few days I'll have to I don't know how he's supposed to subscribe to this but uh, I'm sure he'll be posting plenty of links as he goes because yeah for now he's on the friends list until he finds out I did this without asking and deletes me uh, moving on there was another article about 30,000 Hollywood film characters and here's how many weren't white I'm not really related at all unless you're talking about inclusion but uh, it was the next article in my tabs and I do want to sort of knock it on the head before I can close this and it's a long one so yeah I do want to close this as soon as I finish this article thankfully the article itself is short 
Viola Davis's historic Emmy win served as an important milestone for African-American actresses this week, but data suggests that the entertainment industry could do far more to achieve greater diversity in film. And so that's this relating to a conversation, that's why this link got thrown up, where uh, Peel, Jordan Peel, said that he only has, he's only going to have black characters as a lead in his films because, you know, there's plenty of other people doing white male leads, to put it really bluntly. And obviously the usual characters got upset about that, but hey, like the meme said, you have these guys complaining that there's not enough people of colour in films, so oh, go make your own, and when they do, it's like, oh, you're not putting white people in them. You just can't keep these people happy. Uh, Researchers at the University of Southern California studied 700 top-grossing films from 2007 to 2014. They analysed the race and ethnicity of more than 30,000 characters. The findings show that for nearly a decade, filmmakers have made virtually no progress in portraying more characters from non-white racial and ethnic identities. Not a surprise there. Of the top 100 films of 2014, three-quarters of all characters were white. Only 17 of the top movies that year featured non-white lead or co-lead actors. There you go. It's funny that the guy that posted this link was using it to support his argument that, well, there's 73% of white actors in films and the population of white people is about 70%. So there you go. Why aren't you happy? Which was a straw man argument because the discussion was about leads, not just anyone that's an actor, but also... (laughs) The fact that he used an article to bolster his position that basically undermined it. It's talking about how essentially there needs to be more diversity. It's not representative at all. But findings like this comes as no surprise to British blogger and writer Nikesh Shukla. Inspired by the Bechtel test that illustrates gender diversity, he created the Shukla test. Of course, he named it after himself or her, I'm not sure, to indicate racial and ethnic diversity of characters. He felt compelled to do this after he wrote a short story that literary blog reviewer enjoyed, but criticised because Shukla included South Asian names that the reviewer found hard to pronounce (laughs) or hard to follow. I realise that white people think that people of colour only have ethnic experiences and not universal experiences, Shukla said. That really annoyed me. I'm not just eating mangoes all the time with my aggressive mother. Achieving greater diversity... I don't know if my mouth is getting lazy or... What's going on there? Achieving greater diversity in film and television is about more than just putting non-white faces on the screen, Shukla said. How the entertainment industry portrays these characters is just as important. It feels like a celebration of otherness. I want my otherness normalised, he said. And that's the end of that article, which was written by Laura Santhanam, who is white, but that's cool. And that was on PBS, which is weirdly in a website I'm not on very often, but looks like a lot of fun. So that's it, because we're nearly at an hour, and this is supposed to be a short one, but I was banging on about the rent, and it's really annoying, I'm sorry. So let's uh, call it a night. Hopefully it's not going to be too painful to edit. And uh, get back to me and and let me know how painful it was to hear. Hopefully we all had a good time. Peace out. (laughs) 